Revolution. I'm Paul Bass, welcoming you to another of our weekly looks at what's happening at the grassroots, underneath the mass media radar, in our own community, as well as in cities across the country. Through the lens of the C-Click Fix problem-solving website, joining me as always are C-Click Fix's Caroline Smith and Ben Berkowitz with the latest Citizens Power News. And in a few minutes, we're also going to patch in to Bill Ward, Director of Code Enforcement for the People's Republic of Burlington, Vermont. Believe it or not, we're not here to talk about presidential politics altogether. We're here to talk about cities. We're talking about plowing of bike lanes, bridges to nowhere, and heroin needles found on ground. We should also mention that today's program was made possible in part thanks to support from Yale New Haven Hospital. So, Caroline, what's the latest news from Burlington? Thank you, Paul. So it looks like we have a please plow to the curb issue reported on North Avenue in Burlington, Vermont. Reporter is Liam Griffin. Um, he has uh, 5,000, over 5,000 civic points, Liam Griffin does. And the description includes old frozen snow and ice from the last storm is now buried under this fresh coat. Conditions are especially bit bad between 127 and the high school in the bike lane. The bike lane from the high school to Washington was also unplowed and super sketchy. Whoa. Anybody else weigh in on this? Oh, absolutely. So first of all, Liam attaches um, numerous pictures, um, ones that are all too familiar uh, as a biker who's it. trying to bike to work uh, in New Haven sometimes. Um, the DPW chimes in. Thank you for the pictures. We're not done plowing as of yet. We make our first pass through and we clean up shortly. Uh, Liam, um, pipes back up. Thanks for the follow-up. Totally understood that there are a lot of streets <laughs> out there that need some love right now. I just want to make sure that the old snow gets dealt with during this plow cycle. It is especially bad on the sections where there's no green belt for snow storage, closer to the 127 and along the narrow portion closer to the high school. Boy, they are chill in Burlington compared to New Haven. They don't they don't like have middle fingers or anything in that city? Well, uh, another another user, Laxer, does chime in and has a little okay. bit of sass. He says, if there's no green belt, where exactly do you expect the city to put the snow? It has to sit somewhere. And Liam says, if the city plows to the curb and then runs the sidewalk plow, snow ends up on lawns or to the right of the sidewalk. The other option is to use one of the sidewalk snowblowers to clear the shoulder, which they've done in the past. Mm. And the uh, the conversation continues. Uh, but but What's one the thing, status of it at the end? The status is that it, it is totally cleaned up. It's closed. Oh, okay. So you can ride your bike in Burlington despite the snow and you can go on the bike line. You're not going to fall. So, Caroline, you say you encounter in New Haven similar problems riding your bike around? Yeah, you know, I, I bike to or bike down Orange Street every day to work at C Click Fix and it's definitely true that the, the bike lanes get the bad end of the bargain. They get a lot of the snow. I think the city's doing as much as possible to clean that up. I know it's it's pretty tough, but yeah, it's I it's really hard to bike to work. Well we have on the line someone who can tell us give us an update on the latest news in Burlington with the bike lanes and plowing, and that's Bill Ward, director of code enforcement. Hi Bill, thanks so much for coming on C Click Fix Radio. All right, I guess we're going to turn your volume up a little bit so that we can hear. Was that audible on the radio, Brian? It wasn't. Okay. So let's, uh, Bill, we, we hear you here, but I don't know if our listeners hear you yet. Try it again. I hear you, but I guess we're not getting your audio on, on our, I'm, I'm sorry, we're having a momentary uh, technical problem here. How's it, how's it, Brian? What do you need from us, Brian? Okay. So, Bill, how does it feel to be in the land of Bernie Sanders? He's a former mayor of Burlington, Vermont, and last night he won a presidential primary. That's right. He was my boss uh, back in the 80s. I worked at the police department before taking this job, so I'd say there's a lot of uh, 
enthusiasm about the election in general, but uh, I think last night was a pretty interesting night. Did the kids I get a, school off today to, or anything like that? Oh, no. No, we we only had a small amount of snow, and it takes a lot more than that to shut down Burlington. <laughs> so, Bill, when did you start working for the city? I started in 1987. It was uh, the, last, uh, the, the, the last time that Bernie was reelected was in 87. Uh, he was elected that year uh, for his last term as the mayor and served another three years. So I did work under him um, and had a connection with the current uh, mayor. I was uh, mentioning to some other folks with C-Click Fix last night while I was watching Bernie's uh, speech in New Hampshire, I saw in the background uh, Karina Driscoll, his stepdaughter. She was the person who introduced me to C-Click Fix. Wow. No way. You're going to tell us about that. How did she? Uh, how did she find out about it? Well, she was working at the time for the current mayor, Moreau Weinberger. Uh, mayor Weinberger had used that as part of his election campaign that we were going to use technology to improve things in Burlington. And so Karina, working as his special projects uh, assistant, was the one who taught me about it and said, "Can you take the lead on this?" And uh, you know, the rest of it's history from there. In the last few years, I think we've done some great things, but there's got a lot more to go. Well, tell us about snow plowing on the bike lanes, Bill. Well, it's interesting because myself, I wouldn't really think of this time of year being a great time to ride a bike because it's cold and with the snow, it's particularly slippery even for cars to maneuver. But because Burlington has such a really phenomenal Department of Public Works crew, um, they do a good job of clearing the bike lanes so that folks can you know, bundle up and get down the city streets. So Sequit Fix has been giving the bikers a way to point out to them the areas that still need attention, and the one you just mentioned is a great example. Hey, Bill, in, in Burlington, are there a decent amount of bike commuters that depend on bike and don't have alternate modes of transportation? I'd say there's a really large number of people who bike on a regular basis. Again, yeah. even in the coldest of weather, and even when there's a pretty big snowstorm, they make their way through it. And a lot of the city staff have bikes at each of the different locations, and they can use the bikes. They're not as well-equipped as some of the folks who go in the heavy snow, but when the weather permits, the city staff in each of the buildings could you know, go between and use the sort of loaner bikes that are stored and travel between their you know, work locations. We have some of our staff that use it for inspections when the weather's right. That's incredible. And I'm reading here that Burlington has 7.75 miles of dedicated bike lanes throughout the city. That is crazy and would be a dream for New Haven. I'm curious, did that stem from a community push um, to, to have those dedicated bike lanes be put in place? Yeah, I'd say it's a combination between the you know, community wanting it and a government that's really supportive of it. We have a local organization called Local Motion that uh, really advocates for bicyclists and for um, you know, people that have alternative or transportation methods. So they've been real strong advocates for the bike community, and I think the city is willing to do it, but it takes that partnership between folks who are interested and people in government to drive the, um, so to speak, drive the uh, issue and make something happen. You mentioned the uh, that this isn't great weather for a lot of people to bike. Burlington, you have longer winters than we do down here, even with uh, climate change. Is there more of an adjustment there? Are people there more used to biking? You talked about people who bike even in snowstorms. What have they learned to do differently so that you can bike in all that kind of weather? Well, what I see actually is people really bundled up. Um, uh, interestingly, I see a lot of people with really good high-tech lighting for their bikes, and that's really critical because whether it's 
dark or if it's just um, a condition because of weather, if there's a storm or things like that, you definitely want to make sure that you're visible. But we see quite a few people with some really brightly lit, uh, like the Department of Transportation type uh, vests and things like that that they wear to make sure that people that are riding alongside them in the traffic lane um, see them. So I think people take a really good interest in making sure that they do their part to be safe as they share the road with the cars. How about traction? Surprisingly, I don't know that I've ever seen somebody in one of those snowstorms when I see them going. I've never seen somebody, uh, you know, taking a dump and, uh, you know, going over the handlebars. They really seem to have, like, really good tires and are prepared for it, or they wouldn't come out in it in the first place, I guess. And so you guys have, now, do you hear much about this build? I mean, would you hear a lot about bike lanes on C-Click Fix? As Director of Cone Enforcement, you're watching C-Click Fix every day in Burlington, Vermont. How big a deal are bike-related issues? Well, I would say they're not really bigger than some of the other issues we deal with, but clearly for the people that are reporting them, it's a big deal for them. If they're relying on that bike lane to be their way to get to or from work, I think it's great that they have a method to let the city know specifically a, a lane that's you know trouble on the way in. Or like the one you said a few minutes ago, that was one that the Department of Public Works was going to get through uh, in their next few passes. But when you have you know, a storm in progress, they usually try to get the main lanes open first and move to the sidewalks and those um, bike lanes as a secondary means. You know, uh, you're reminded, you mentioned local motion. I should say that local motion is actually how I was introduced to Burlington uh, through a gentleman uh, by the name of Jason uh, Van Driesch, who I don't know if he's still at local motion, but uh, back in 2011, he thought it would be great to, to get more buy-in for C-Click Fix in Burlington. And as uh, one of the cycling advocates there, he actually um, helped, helped bring it to town uh, as well as I think some of the other, the other cities uh, around you or towns around you, um, Essex Junction and uh, South Burlington. So, um, it, Jason kind of reminds me of a lot of the folks who are early adopters to C-Click Fix in their communities who are cycling advocates first, and they bring this problem-solving mechanism to town. And then, you know, it's not all about bike lanes, as you're pointing out. In the end, it's it's really about all community issues. So, big shout out to Jason. Caroline, you said you had some other news stories that were burning into the grassroots there in Burlington. Absolutely. So this is one that was brought up last time on last show, Bridge to Nowhere. Uh, a little description. Uh, the wooden arch bridge spanning VT127 links Ethan Allen Homestead to the neighborhoods in Ethan Allen Park on the other side. It has been blocked off with a chain link fence and not maintained for several years. From what I've read, over $25,000 was spent to build this structure in the 1980s. Considering its aesthetic and actual value, it should be maintained. And I thought that Bill could maybe flesh this out or give us a little bit more information on this. Sure. Uh, it was interesting because I had not paid as much attention, but the way Burlington works with these issues, that issue got directly routed to the Parks Department. And um, I worked with the Parks Department to make sure I was updated on it. But what I learned is if you were looking at the, the C-Click 6 map of that location, you would see the green space on both sides of the Route 127 is actually Ethan Allen Homestead. So the map indicates the green space as, as parkland or uh, you know, sort of preserved park space. When they put the highway in in the 1980s, the rule, the federal rules required that you couldn't do that unless you provided for a pedestrian 
footbridge to go across that area so people could go from one side of the park to the other. But ironically, that other side of the park, uh, opposite the where the Ethan Allen Homestead is, is actually got a pretty steep grade, and it's really heavily wooded. So there's no place to go beyond that. But as a federal requirement to get the the funds, I understand that the reason they did it was to they wanted the highway to be put in. They followed the rules and put in the footbridge. But unfortunately, there just isn't a place to go on that other side. Uh, aren't there trails hiking all around the Ethan Allen Homes there? There are, but because of the way that it's designed, it's there's only a small sliver of land that's still that parkland on the other side of the highway. So the, the actual walking space is all on the other side to the east side of where Route 127 is. And on the other side, there's not a residential neighborhood, a subdivision with streets and stuff? There is, but again, it's a sort of a, a steep ledged yeah. area, so it wouldn't be an easy place to engineer a walking path. There wasn't ever one there to begin with, and it would be difficult. It would require some easements from adjoining property owners and somebody to help design a way to get up to one of the city streets from there. It wouldn't be. It's not going to be an easy task. It is still on their capital plan for the future, but as projects require money, that's not going to be one of their priority issues at this point. There's so, a lot so of this bridge might issues. be closed off for a while to come, Bill? I think so. I actually think it's been closed off from the beginning, essentially, because mm. there's never been something since the 80s. For, there's nothing mm. over there for anyone to go to. It was just a quirky rule that the federal government required at the time, and it's sort of always been a bridge to nowhere. Huh. Well, now, Caroline, you also had some news about heroin needles in Burlington. Yeah, so it looks like just a couple days ago was reported a found needle or syringe by reporter May. The description is noticeable on the right-hand side if walking up the Pomeroy. And from there, there's a little conversation between um, the city and May about the exact specific location of the syringe because it's so small. Bill, do you have anything up on that? Because heroin's a big issue up there now, right? It is, and there's, you know, there's a lot to really talk about with this needle and syringe issue, so you'll have to help me and guide me through it if I miss anything. But the person I wanted to point out in there, the commenter, T. Miles, is one of my staff members. He's an inspector here with the COVID oh, okay. Okay. And so T., uh, Ted was um, the person who acknowledged it but also checked in. One of the, the programmable questions we put in there is that because they're particularly small, we'd like to know exactly where needles are if you report them. And sometimes people give us just a clue, and then other times they give us almost, you know, coordinates where you couldn't miss it if you went there. But we found when we first started getting reports, people would just say, you know, by the parking lot. Well, literally, when you're looking for a needle in a parking lot, that <laughs> could be really, it could take a long time. So we used the benefit of the C-Click 6 programming to add that question to say, please give us a little better clue so everybody that answers those. There just wasn't enough information for Ted, so he asked for a little bit more, and then he was able to track it down and um, picked it up and had it properly disposed of. How much is that uh, happening? How many complaints do you get, Bill, about needles on the ground? Uh, interestingly, we were getting more last year, and they're a little bit more sporadic uh, these days, but I have to say that the other bonus about it is I'm not getting the direct um, requirement to literally handle them these days because we've created a great partnership with the Howard Center Safe Recovery Group. I'm sorry, what group is that? 
It's called the Howard Center Safe Recovery Group, and they're a local organization that does a needle exchange. They have a needle exchange program, and the police department had always partnered with them when there were reports to the police about needles being found in the community uh, in years past, that they would go out uh, when they were working and pick them up. We worked through the programming of C-Click Fix, but we have the direct um, email go to them when the report comes in. And the code enforcement office, we are the backup. We also are the recipients of those when the reports come in. But they have been really taking a strong lead, the Howard Center Safe Recovery Group. It's been their primary mission, but they didn't really know about C-Click Fix until we you know, introduced them to it. But Tom Dalton, who's the director over there, has been a great partner. And it's made it a little bit more seamless for us that we uh, don't often have to deal with those issues because when they're working, they get right on it within a really short time. I think if you looked at our numbers, that's probably the fastest issue to be closed. I think everything's closed within the day or a portion of the day, and I think that's pretty extraordinary. So how, can you give me a numerical sense how often you hear this kind of problem? You said you get less than you used to, but how often are you getting complaints about heroin needles to pick up? Well, I would say maybe um, once a week would be a lot now, um, but we were getting several a week uh, just in the last six months to a year. Uh, How It's in a Safe Recovery also does the messaging to the people who are in their program. That's one of the benefits of using C-Quick Fix because we track them with the map and the folks at the Howard Center Safe Recovery can let the folks in their program know where uh, issues sort of by the heat map, where, where we're finding problems. And so they have a pretty strong community within that group. They don't like the negative press that somebody else is dumping needles and they don't want people to think that it's people in the program. So they share the information. And I think they are doing their own cleanup and if they hear that a particular street is started to be a problem, right, there's a little bit of peer pressure and maybe some of their own cleaning within the group uh, to help to keep the neighborhoods clean before a report gets made about something the city has to address or the uh, safe recovery program has to deal with. Bill, I imagine there's uh, I imagine there's some happy people in the, the ward household back home that you're not going around handling uh, dirty needles on a daily basis as well, yeah? Definitely. Definitely. That's a good thing not to have to do. Yeah. Is Burlington hit the same way so many smaller towns in Vermont have been hit? I mean, there were towns we read about in Vermont that have just been devastated by heroin and, and other opiate abuse right now. What has been the impact on Burlington of the rise in heroin use? Well, I think it's um, affected almost every department in some way, and that's why it's great. I think our current uh, Mayor Weinberger had asked the new chief, the police chief, Brandon Del Pozo, to make a report within his first 90 days to the city council and to the mayor about uh, some plans to coordinate efforts to reduce the problem. And I wanted to point out one of the interesting things about Burlington is I don't think that we're any different than mm -hmm. any other place in the country right now. I think places all over the country are dealing with heroin because we're being so transparent about it. And I Absolutely. know the governor mentioned it last year in the State of the State address, got a lot of Vermont attention, but we are by far the, not the heroin capital of the world. It's just that we're being a lot more transparent about it than some other places. And that's how you fix problems. And that's obviously why C-Click Fix works, because it's the transparency. Mm -hmm. People acknowledge this is a problem and that they're going to be taking affirmative steps to deal with it. You work with the partners who are um, going to be able to make an impact, and that's how things get fixed. And I haven't seen anything that when people team up and work on together, that can't be fixed.
Yeah, absolutely, Bill. I really appreciate you saying that. Um, mm-hmm. This particular problem is near and dear to my heart. Heroin is cer- certainly uh, a regional and, and national effort. I actually recently heard, or, or national challenge, um, I recently heard someone call uh, I-91 the the highway that effectively starts in Burlington and ends in New Haven or vice versa, uh, referred to as the heroin highway uh, because the high use of heroin along the corridor um, I actually lost uh, two. I've lost two very close friends to me in my life uh, to heroin overdoses. Uh, so, so I, you know, certainly know that it's a huge problem here in New Haven. And it, kudos to you all for for really talking about such a challenging problem so openly. Because I, I totally agree. Obviously, if uh, the first step to to solving our problems is talking about them openly and publicly and acknowledging that they exist. Before we move on on it, what other ways does city government have to deal with the heroin problem besides picking up needles or partnering with someone to pick up needles? What are some of the what have you seen as a code enforcement officer or someone who monitors C click fix? What are the specific day to day ways you've had to respond to the heroin epidemic? Well, I think the best way is the sharing of the information because there are things that the police department either knows about or is aware of if they can um, track locations of incidents report back to other city departments so that we can sort of be on the lookout, report suspicious activity, make sure neighbors are looking out for each other and, you know, not allowing people to be selling drugs openly on the street or, um, you know, there are patterns that people can look for. And if they don't know who they can talk to or report it uh, to, then that's city government's job to make sure that, you know, the agencies are available and responsive when there is a request for service. Um, so it's that information sharing that's the very first step, I think. And, and that's what you saw within the last uh, month when the police chief made his report to the mayor and the city council. I think that's just an initial step. I think they're sort of digesting that information about uh, just acknowledging that it's a serious problem, not just here, but in a lot of other places. We can't fix it in other places, but we can take steps to start fixing it here by at least getting the information out about how the uh, robberies have increased, how burglaries have increased, um, car break-ins have increased, things like that. Um, but all the other things that we've worked on, that we can look at the statistics and show that when the different departments work together and focus on the problem, we definitely have an impact on driving down the numbers. And we may not be able to completely eradicate it, but I guarantee we can save lives. Uh, the police departments. Um, now carrying a um, drug to help reverse Narcan. Uh, Narcan. Yeah, they they didn't ha- used to carry it, but uh, just in the last few months they've started carrying it. The fire department has it. Um, you know, the, the folks at the Howard Center Safe Recovery do provide it for folks who are in their program. Um, but again, talking about it so people get the help that they need, it's really the type of uh, uh, scourge that people, because there's such a horrible... Um, shadow that goes along with it, but sometimes people don't want to talk about it, but we should talk about it and we should get people help so that we can reverse these trends. You're listening to C-Click Fix Radio on WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio, broadcast at 103.5 FM and live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. We're talking C-Click Fix news with Carolyn Smith and Ben Berkowitz at C-Click Fix and Bill Ward from Burlington, Vermont. Bill, you want to hold on while we Talk about some problems elsewhere and see how they relate to what sure. you do in Burlington. Sure. Ben, what's our latest news in New Haven, according to C-Click Fix? Thanks, Paul. We got an APB out on a lost cat at Elm 
and Garden. Home and Garden, okay. Uh, the issue's been viewed 108 times. Uh-huh. It was reported uh, yesterday on February 9th by Zoe. She has civ- uh, 90 civic points. Uh, and let's describe this cat. There is a photo. He's adorable. Um, his name is Sylvester, which you might find apropos because Sylvester is black and white. Uh, he's a short-haired tabby. He's medium-sized. He's about one years old. Uh, he's mostly black with a white belly and neck, only on the front. White paws and a white splotch on his face. He has no collar, but he is neutered. He's an indoor-slash-outdoor cat and has not returned home since Monday, February 1st. His family misses him dearly. Uh, please contact... We have a phone number here, 857-413-7076, if you have any information. You'd think, uh, you'd think uh, Speedy Gonzalez and uh, Tweety right. Bird might be That's a little right. bit nervous, they Sylvester be, on the have list. They, have they uh, answered anyone else waiting on this? So uh, a commenter uh, came in uh, by the name of Cold Outside and said, <laughs> when did it snow? Question mark. I'm surprised you let him out. I hope he, that's a bit judgy. I hope he is okay because it is very cold out there and snow piles. I hope he isn't buried in snow piles. Zoe got dissed here. What did Zoe say back? Yeah. Uh, Zoe responded back. She said, I appreciate your concern. I've thought about the same possibility myself. Sylvester is an outside indoor cat and refuses to stay indoors for more than 10 hours, rain or shine. He left the house well after New Haven's first snowstorm, well before this most recent one. Usually he returns multiple times throughout the day, but on February 1st, he did not come home. I can only hope he is somewhere safe and warm. Let's hope that now, uh, Bill in Burlington, do you get a lot of missing cats? No, that's one we haven't uh, seen a lot of um, reports. So, you know, I can't think of any real lost animal reports. We have a police department that deals with those types of reports, and they're not as completely connected with C Click Six yet, but they are getting a little bit more active in the, and sort of moving slowly towards putting more issues that they deal with. Uh, in the public forum on Tick. So yeah, I think you might see that soon in Burlington. That's well, it. keep, but do keep an eye out if you don't mind for this black and white short haired tabby, just in case uh, <laughs> it went up the other end of 991. That's right. That's right. What else we got, Ben? What other news in New Haven? All right. What in Worcester Square? We have a snow related issue. Not surprising since there's a lot of snow. And uh, this is becoming a truly recurring theme now on, on C Click Fix Radio. This is uh, Chapel Street in New Haven, Connecticut, and this one is actually, in fact, at the Comcast building. Okay, so, okay. Uh, here we go. In front of the Comcast building, complete sheet of ice. Ooh. Broken uh, bus stop windows were broken by the plow also. Oh, my. How'd they know it was the plow? That's a good question. Good question. I think, you know, the C-Click Fix neighbors are pretty, pretty tuned in, right? Yeah. I think they can, you know, they're pretty smart detectives. They got the sheet of ice. Is that on the street? Uh, yeah, it's on the sidewalk, actually. Sidewalk. So the, the mm-hmm. issue is that, you know, again, we've talked about this before over the last couple of weeks. We, we have these properties that are right absentee be- landlords oh, at this point because the Comcast building is not, as one user does point out, owned by Com- or occupied by Comcast anymore. It's held up uh, uh, in a development project that's stalled by a lawsuit right. uh, across the street, and there's no one coming out to shovel the snow. Oh, so what did people say on this complaint? Ah, uh, so Jimmy McNulty, for all you Wire fans, <laughs> Jimmy McNulty, <laughs> uh, t- two blocks from City Hall, they should have gotten a ticket for not clearing the sidewalk after the last snow. Well, they should still get one now. Let's see if someone from City Hall responds saying that they have issued a ticket. Uh, Department of Public Works, we Good have received response. your issue. We will investigate and address this matter as soon as we can. Thanks for reporting. So that was the same day right after that, Comca- uh, that comment. 
Uh, XYZ comes on. Comcast has moved. Uh, and the neighbor says, so it's an empty building, question mark. Then it falls to the city to do by default. If somebody falls and gets hurt, they will sue the city. Um, and then XYZ says, I think the responsibility is with the owner of the property. Mm. I do not know if that is actually true. Yeah. true. They are responsible. Can you, you explain that a little bit? Yeah, not, you, you're okay. responsible for shoveling your sidewalk. Oh, sure. Mm. But what about the city as the backup? Mm-hmm. Well, they do help, but I, I'm pretty sure that, that if you own a building, even if you're absentee, that doesn't change your legal right. responsibility. I don't think the liability building. falls on the city yeah. after Well, this. how about in Burlington, Bill? What Now, you do code enforcement. Do you get a lot of this in the winter about people not shoveling and the responsibility for that? Interestingly, the city does all the plowing on the sidewalk, so they have these little... Uh, small units that do the plowing on the sidewalks, but we definitely get our share of complaints about it because those machines can only go so fast. But it's good. If people have a problem, um, they definitely should let us know to you know get the appropriate resources out as quickly as we can. But you don't do the and, whole city, do you? I mean, you go into all the neighborhoods and do all the sidewalks? <laughs> yes, they do. Bill yeah. is making a really How? good case for moving to Burlington. <laughs> yeah. Well, there are a lot of good reasons to move to Burlington. I mean, but that's maybe another show. But what I... <laughs> <laughs> what, although Andy Brummage, the journalist, knew he moved up there, and he, it was paradise, and he didn't have to lock his bike, but he kind of missed home, and he came back. Ah, interesting. I don't know, but anyway, so Bill, <laughs> in every neighborhood and every street, you guys are responsible for the sidewalk? That's right. The Department of Public Works does a great job. I just want to give a shout-out to Valerie Ducharme, because she's their sort of quarterback or general over there that uh, runs this. She's the one, when it says DPW on our site, She's the one who's always making those comments, and she sends the you know the, the workers that are required to do those streets, let them know which streets may have been missed. And when they're running routes, they usually have a, a specific pattern through the neighborhoods that the plows and the, the sidewalk plows you know don't miss any. But if for some reason they do, or something was blocked and they had to go around it, and they missed a section because of a mm. car blocking the, the section, people do let us know, and they send someone back out to clear it when it's open. So how many? How about if you own a house? What are you supposed to do when it snows? What's your legal responsibility? Uh, none on the sidewalk. You have uh, the, the to your own driveway, of course. But the uh, it's illegal in Burlington. You're not supposed to throw snow into the sidewalk, or you're not supposed to shovel it into the street and you know make the city plow it away. You got to put it on your own property or to the side, left or right, and uh, the city will be coming by. If it's a sidewalk, the city will clear it. And do you find people for putting snow in the sidewalk or on the street? I can't say that I have, but I, and I'm not sure on the statistics. That there's certainly a ticketable offense. It's the type of thing that usually the city would tell someone that that's a ticketable offense, so don't do it anymore. And I, I, I'd be willing to bet very few tickets are issued by the police department for that because it is just um, the type of thing that people in Burlington wouldn't do. But when they do, it's because they didn't realize or maybe they saw somebody else do it and thought it was okay. You tell them it's not okay and, and, and you just don't hear have a repeat offense or that type of thing. I would love to hear the economic argument for doing this. Mm-hmm. I, I bet that there is a lot of data that suggests that this is collectively beneficial for the city it would be great to understand what the cost is to Burlington. Be a huge cost i mean in labor so. and yeah. machinery to do all those sidewalks bill it is but i think now that they've got such a they have a really robust system in place to you know with the expectation and uh, they really do it they have people that are on shift that would normally be doing other things uh, either if they're not yeah. in a plow they're out in one of the sidewalks plows. Sidewalk so this sounds plows. like snow socialism to me Snowshoeism. <laughs> well, did Bernie, did Bernie start this or what? 
Did you say socialism or snowshoeism? Snowshoeism. <laughs> Okay. The government's doing what the private sector used to do. So what, did Bernie start this? Yeah, I'm not sure the history of um, where the sidewalk plowing started, but I know it's been going on for decades. And uh. Bill, how, how do you guys prioritize streets? Because presumably you can't do all at once or all neighborhoods at once. Is it what's most trafficked or do, is it more randomized to be more equitable? How does, what does that look like? Yeah, the, the Department of Public Works has maps that the public can see just so they can see where the primary routes are, and those are the routes that they keep open first, and then they move into the secondary streets, which which are the neighborhoods. So I think the, you know, the routes are public if people are interested in seeing what they are. And I don't want to say there aren't complaints, but I would say there are a few complaints when you figure they've got so much area to cover and they have... Um, you know, a, a really great crew of people that work sometimes around the clock if they need to. Um, we come in sometimes for the daytime for the code enforcement crew. We work in the same building with them. And, it, you know, there's only a skeleton crew here during the day because they've all been up all night long out in the trucks and doing the sidewalk. So people almost don't even know there was a snowstorm uh, when they come in the next morning. It's it, it's a pretty impressive uh, group of folks, and the work that they do is really appreciated. Wow. So Ben, any other news in New Haven? Yeah, let's uh, let's check in on an illegal dumping issue in Chatham Square, the beautiful Chatham Square neighborhood, reported by Patricia Bassell. It's been viewed fifty-seven times. This is issue wow. number two million two hundred and twenty-two thousand eight hundred and nine, reported on February 9th. And the description follows. I reported this several days ago. Someone left a mattress by the butterfly garden in Dover Beach Park across from Del Rio Street. Huh. City of New Haven Public Works has acknowledged the issue. They've received it and will investigate it as soon as we can. Thanks for reporting. Becky Bombero closed the issue yesterday. That's the head of the Parks Department. That's right. Director of Parks and Recreation and Trees. This issue has been resolved. If you need to report a new issue, please do so and see Click Fix or call the department of Public Works, Recreations, and Trees at 203-946-8004. Thank you. And then Tech75, who has what looks to be a uh, Lego icon avatar on the front of a boat, maybe like a masthead, <laughs> pirate masthead thing going on there, says, thanks for fixing this issue. So That's excellent. You know, and uh, Caroline and I actually did a, some quick background research on this issue because neither Caroline nor I, mm -hmm. uh, as uh, people who think that they're in the know in New Haven, uh, did not know about this butterfly garden in Dover Park. And uh, as fate would have it, the New Haven Independent did a great piece on the butterfly garden. Yeah, I was going to say, I yeah. Alan Appel did some stuff on the butterfly garden. It's very nice what they've done. At Dover Street Beach, they've done a lot of cleanup, both people who live in the Community Act Terrace housing development and neighbors from the Chatham Square neighborhood improvement people. They've just been going out there on weekends and, and URI, Urban Resource mm. Initiative, and just carting away tons of trash. And it's a very nice view there by the river. I love, uh, I love how the community gardens and some of these tree planting efforts that URI does uh, really foster lasting communities such that someone is... One of the beautiful is, things about yeah. New Haven are these gardens, the whole garden movement in their city. And then a ma mattress can't hang out there long. Someone can't. will report it. Right? So, Bill, how are the mattresses doing in uh, Burlington? Do you get a lot of complaints in your code enforcement office to people dumping those mattresses? You got to cart them away? Well, we try to get the people who dumped it to cart them away because we have a pretty good system in place that our team looks at who owns the property. And um, we have 10,000 rental units in the city of Burlington. 
Um, so we have a database in the code enforcement department. Folks are required to register those rentals. When we see a mattress show up in front of a place, uh, myself or one of the staff members here will contact the property owner and make sure that they are the first line of defense to say, you got to clean it up. It's, you know, it's at your rental property. And there is a ticket if they don't get it cleaned up. Um, but if someone has something dumped on their property and they report it to us, we do have the Department of Public Works can go out and pick up those things when they happen. Uh, normally, people are not paying as close attention to the rental properties, and so we finally have to pick up a lot of junk. And, um, you know, it's probably one of the biggest issues that we have to deal with, but it's a good way for the public to see all the work that my staff is doing. I'm really proud of what they do, but the fact that we can put it on C-Click Fix is a way to sort of highlight the good work that uh, everyone here is doing. Airbnb, has that complicated the issue of how responsible landlords are? It's pretty big in Burlington, right? It is, but they're not uh, necessarily in our rental database. Our rental database is designed for places that are 30 days or longer for the same oh. person. And so Airbnb tends to be either one night or a weekend. But that's an owner still. Airbnb is still an owner. Wouldn't they still be in right. databases? Well, some, some folks are using it, and they're you know they they use the Airbnb and All they, right, they get the whole house. place with it too. Yeah. So there's a lot of different uh, varieties that go with that, and then it for our part it gets into the zoning aspect of it because it does have a greater impact on a place that you have a bunch of cars coming and going more often than if you had just one renter, someone who's used to the place and taking good care of it. So what are you doing um, about Airbnb? Well, our city attorney and the zoning office is looking at the current zoning regulations that actually need to be um, clarified to give it a proper category. You, the way it works now, it doesn't actually fall into a very specific category. It would be more categorized as a, a hotel under the right. way the current um, zoning rules are. So there's some, some work to be done before we address it more clearly. But in the meantime, we just work with property owners to try to limit the uh, impact that they're having on the neighborhood. We have just a few minutes to go, but Caroline has some news from us from another community, Princeton, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Caroline, what's the news in Princeton, New Jersey with C-Click Fix? It looks like recently an environmental pollution issue was reported um, at Nassau Street, Princeton, New Jersey, by reporter J.R.W. And the health officer of, the, of Princeton came on and said, I went out and the issue was that there was a sewer odor coming from the alleyway. And this is on the campus, right? Because I know Nassau is a, a building and on um, full presence. We're gonna we're gonna have to call Caroline on her Kentucky pr pronunciation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> she Never, she's never heard the uh, the song. Nassau's Nassau. gone funky, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the the health department, R. Carter, hops on and he says, "I went out to the site at approximately two fifteen today and spent twenty five to fifteen minutes and didn't smell the sewer odors. I've been there in the past month and will follow up again." I'll contact the person holding the lease and get inside again and recheck the basement. Huh. Which I just think it's astounding mm. that R. Carter stood there for 25 to 15 minutes. But he trying has to smell five to one five. <laughs> Sewer gas, specifically. Though. Sorry? He said 25 to 15? Yeah, 25 to 15 minutes. Why, he, why isn't it 15 to 25? I actually I thought about that too. I, I have I've not consulted R. Carter about this. But maybe <laughs> yeah. that's something He's just kind of like backing down from hyperbole. Yeah, yeah, he was going <laughs> to yeah. start. So maybe it was more like five minutes. I don't know. we got to find out more about this. So, uh, so, so there's a question of a mystery where there really is an odor coming up from Nassau Street in Princeton. We have this problem in New Haven. Uh, it, it happened, you know, I used to live on Upper State Street, actually, where C-Click Fix started. And uh, there was, uh, people reported 
noxious sewer gas all the time because at some point on Upper State Street, some demarcation point, the sewer lines are not separate separated from the storm sewer. This happens oh. in a lot of older cities, uh, so you get overflow, and what happens is you get sewer gas coming up from the storm storm sewer. It's quite unpleasant. Very interesting. What what other news is in Princeton, New Jersey? Uh, yeah. So there's a pothole that was that was closed recently. Um, uh, a pothole on the corner turning right on Terhune from the shopping center side of Harrison. And I think what was impressive about this is just the quick turnaround on this pothole being filled. It was reported on the third and then filled on the eighth. Which so I think five days, not quick yeah. for Houston. Not quick that for Houston. That would actually be a fail in Houston, <laughs> but not New Haven. But still pretty impressive and says a lot about the the folks at Access Princeton and how quick. Um, and agile they are about getting these issues fixed. So next week we're going to have someone on from Princeton, New Jersey, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll um, we'll find out more. Let's ask them about the sewer gas. Yeah. If, if Ben's hunch is right, this is mm. a very interesting hunch on Ben's part. Maybe we can ask them to look into that. We'll, we'll see, see how well I know cities. All right, I think. Oh, you know <laughs> cities well. So thank you for joining us today on C Click Fix Radio. Thanks as always to Caroline Smith and Ben Berkowitz of C Click Fix. Bill Ward, thank you for joining us from the People's Republic of Burlington, Vermont. And thanks to Yale New Haven Hospital for providing financial support for today's program. Thanks to the producer of today's program, the Zen Master, Brian Slattery. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic Experience performing Eliyahu Hanavi from the group's 2002 CD, This is the Afro-Semitic Experience. This is Paul Bass wishing you a day full of free slick kicks and groovy gyration. Cozy up with us here all day and night at WNHH New Haven's home for community radio. And you can actually join us back in 15 minutes. We're going to talk some more about a Burlington issue. Bernie Sanders' crushing victory last night, along with Donald Trump in the presidential primaries. We're going to have a panel of pundits here to run down what happened in New Hampshire, what comes next. So enjoy the music. Sit tight. We'll see you back at noon. <laughs>